You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin, and today I am going to bring you a special solo episode all about gut health, the gut-brain connection, and how we can nourish our gut so that we can optimize our brain health. And, you know, I share about this on and off. Many of my podcast guests talk about this, but I wanted to just sit down one-on-one and talk to you about some tools that I've found to be helpful in health and just to share some basics about gut health along the way. And really the things that we need to be focusing on Because the world is still a little bit crazy and we need to be nourishing ourselves as much as possible. So the first thing that I want to share is that your gut and your brain are connected. And we've always known that. We've always known that how we feel in our brain impacts the way our stomach feels, right? Like when you're nervous, you get butterflies in your stomach. Or for me, I I remember so clearly I used to do theater in high school. And before I would go on stage, I always would feel like just a weird churning, like almost like I was going to throw up. But that was my, that was my gut or my brain talking to my gut and my gut responding to my brain. And so we know that intuitively what has been so impactful in the last 20 plus years is learning that our gut connects to our brain in the same way and our gut speaks to our brain and there are 100 to 500 million neurons that make up your gut microbiome so this is why we call the gut the second brain because that's a whole lot of neurons and your gut neurons are communicating with your brain via the vagus nerve it's the 10th cranial nerve and vagus is not like las vegas it's spelled v-a-g-u-s and it means wandering and i have heard it said the vagus nerve connects to just about every organ in our body and so really i want you to paint a picture of health as being connected to everything so everything you think is going to impact all of the processes in your body and likewise everything that you put into your gut everything you consume is going to impact every single process in your body and i think when we understand that it can really help us to maybe make better decisions about our food choices and maybe learn to find what is nourishing to our gut and of course we have there are all kinds of food sensitivities and there's no one size fits all for everybody but the more you can understand the gut microbiome and how it affects our brain maybe the more it'll make you more likely to be nourishing your body in a better way if that makes sense so just remember that 90% of serotonin that's our happy neurotransmitter that's produced in the gut all the vitamins all the nutrients that you need for mental health like B vitamins vitamin D magnesium all of those things need to be correctly absorbed by the gut to be utilized for building up a healthy brain. So if you have poor gut health, if you have you know, a gut lining that's been breached by stress, by environmental toxins, by an overuse of antibiotics or pesticides, uh, processed food, sugar, alcohol, a lot of those things, it will create that leaky gut and that can lead to inflammation and that can cause poor digestion and your neurotransmitters are not going to be able to do what they need to do. And so a lot of experts these days are considering depression and anxiety, not just an actual diagnosis in themselves, but they're symptoms of an underlying dysfunction. And as I like to say, 
when we have symptoms of depression or anxiety, that is a signal to our body that something is out of balance in our internal or external environment. And so one of those concerns is inflammation in the gut and maybe stressors, and that can be physical stressors, it could be toxins, it could even be emotional stressors. And that can really wreak havoc on the gut as well. And it can cause immune system dysfunction. It can cause uh, things like IBS and heartburn, and eventually it could even lead to some autoimmune dysfunction as well. And so I always find it really interesting when I'm speaking with somebody who has, say, an autoimmune disorder or IBS, or typically there are also some mental health concerns at the same time, because all these things are gut related. So enough about that. I really want to get into the practical, and I want to add practical tools that can help you find ways to get your gut to produce your optimal neurotransmitters that we all need to utilize the vitamins and minerals that you're probably taking, because we know that we need to be taking vitamins. We're not going to get them in our food, but you can't have these things working. You can't have a clear mind without a healthy gut. And I've been saying this for over six years because this has been so transformative in my own life. But six years ago, people, I think, thought I was crazy, like gut health, gut health, whatever. We're seeing this show up again and again in the research. And even, I think the other day, I read something in the Washington Post that was talking about depression being really at the root of it, a gut health issue. So we want to love our guts. We don't want to stress ourselves out when we're talking about this. We don't want to think about, oh my gosh, what do I need to add to my to-do list? But we want to look for things that we can add in to help support our microbiome. And you know me, I talk about this all the time. I am about addition. I am not about restriction. Now, I do believe that sometimes we need to eliminate triggers for a while just to see how our body responds. Because again, if you have poor gut health, sometimes there are particular foods that can be triggering worse gut health. But I really want to do this in a balanced way. And the other thing that I want to address before I get into food is I want to talk about different supplements to support your mood, especially when we are not producing some of these neurotransmitters in our gut. And if you are looking for serotonin, if you're looking for serotonin support, which is again, kind of that mood lifting neurotransmitter, 5-HTP, tryptophan, those are helpful tools. And if you want to go into detail about how to use those, I have an episode, oh, I believe it's called Getting to the Root of Anxiety with Trudy Scott. She talks about that. Also her book, uh, The Anti-Anxiety Food Solution is what it's called. She will talk specifically about you know, checking to see if you need serotonin support with 5-HTP or tryptophan. She's a great resource for that. And if you're looking for dopamine support, if you're looking for something to kind of give you that get up and go, then you can look into getting yourself on tyrosine. That's really helpful for dopamine support. And then if you're just feeling that stressed, that chronic state of overwhelm, I would really recommend looking into a GABA supplement. That is something for sure for me that I have benefited from, especially as my body is going through some hormone changes. It can be really, really helpful for women during the luteal phase of their cycle. I'm a big fan of GABA, and I think the one that I use is called GABA Calm. Um, this is not, this episode is not sponsored by that, but I think that's what it's called. And it has been really, really helpful for me. So again, you can look at Trudy Scott's book, the anti-anxiety food solution for more details, or you can even look up, there's a website you could look to see if you are deficient 
in any of those neurotransmitters if you need more support. And I think that is on Julia Ross's website, which is The Mood Cure. So you could look up The Mood Cure and take her questionnaire and see what what would be helpful for you there. The other thing, oh, I forgot to mention this. I don't, personally, I don't respond well to L-theanine alone, but I know a lot of people, including my firstborn child, <laughs> who does really well with L-theanine for reducing anxiety. And there is a chewable that she takes called Calm Pro, C-A-L-M-P-R-O, that our pediatrician recommended for her. And it has made a world of difference for just certain kind of nervousness, anxiousness that she gets at different times. So I recommend that. But again, sometimes we're not all going to respond perfectly to all these things. I don't respond great to L-theanine, but I respond great to GABA. So those are just some things I want you to look at as a practical tool for getting past some mood issues. If you know, especially if you know that your gut health is not optimal and you want to make sure that you are getting these amino acids into your body because you might not be digesting them well from your food. All right, so really want to talk about some basic building blocks for brain health. Like I said, I don't want to talk about going into full restriction mode because that can be really triggering for some people. It can lead to some disordered eating, and I don't want there to be any kind of a one-size-fits-all with our eating. There needs to be room for flexibility because we are in a world where we're going to get toxins somewhere, right? Like we've got to be realistic. Even if we eat our food 100% perfectly all the time, whatever that means, we might be exposed to mold or we might be exposed to pollution or there might be, you know, in our beauty products, there might be something that's triggering our health issues or whatever, right? Like, so come on, we, we've got to be realistic. And so I'm just going to give some basics that I think could be helpful. And I'm not talking about going extremely low calorie with our food either. I know that's typically when we talk about eating to improve our health, we're like, oh, I got to go on a diet and I got to go low calorie. But low, when we go too low calorie, that is actually connected to really poor mental health because typically there is a carb increase. There's a fat and protein decrease, especially a fat decrease because everybody's like, oh, fat has too much calories. Um, but we need fat for a healthy brain. And if we are just trying to fill up on low calorie empty carbs, it might cause some blood sugar imbalances as well. So we don't, we want to make sure that we are supporting our blood sugar supporting our adrenal health and nourishing our body with the right kinds of fats and the right kind of protein because again we've got to be able to digest protein to utilize neurotransmitters and I'll get to that in a second um, but your brain really needs fat your brain needs calories you, you need food to function so before you get all limited and restrictive thinking that going on some low calorie diet is going to improve your mental health think again and let's just talk about nutrient-dense whole foods and baby steps. So the first list I'm gonna give you for these building blocks, these are anytime foods. These are foods that when you are hungry, you include these all day, every day, whenever you want to. And you know, if you're practicing intermittent fasting, maybe you just want to you know, have your food in a specific eating window. Maybe you want to uh, look into circadian fasting, especially if you have mood issues, mood disorders. That can be really beneficial when we're mimicking our circadian rhythm and we're eating during the daylight hours. That can be beneficial for our body and balancing it in the way that, you know, really kind of we were designed. But first, let's look at protein. So as I mentioned before, we cannot make neurotransmitters. We can't make our serotonin without sufficient protein. And many people can't even absorb protein or digest it because of 
poor gut health, a lack of digestive enzymes, sometimes low acid. You know, so many people are on acid reducers and all of these extra things because we think we have too much acid, but sometimes we actually have too little acid. And if you have too little acid, then you're not digesting your food and you might need digestive enzyme support as well. So with protein, animal protein is going to offer the best amount of vitamins. It's the most bang for your buck. We've got minerals, we have essential amino acids, we have fatty acids, and it's all going to be in a smaller portion, and it's extremely satiating. You have to eat a lot of plant-based protein to equal what you would get from animal-based protein, and so much of the plant-based protein is really just processed junk, processed genetically modified junk. So I have nothing against eating a plant-based diet and trying to get protein from plant sources. I have no problem with that, but just make sure that you're eating enough. I'm a big fan of grass-fed ground beef. That's something that I've talked about many times. When I started adding in grass-fed ground beef into my diet, this was a few years ago, I noticed a huge difference in my mental health. Before that, I would only eat like the lean meats, like turkey or chicken breast. And number one, those things don't have a lot of flavor, if you ask me. <laughs> so they're not very satiating. And a lot of it can have high toxicity content. So like turkey is probably one of the most toxic animals that we could consume, but because it's lean, and I'm saying that in air quotes, it is often the one that is promoted for dieting and for, you know, eating lower calorie and all of that. And so I kind of want to take that, all this thought about lean meat. Yes, there's a place for lean meat, but there's also a place for fatty meat. There's also a place in our diet for organ meat. And I haven't really gotten into the organ meat as much, and that's maybe maybe that should be my goal for this year, um, is to get into liver and all that kind of stuff. But that's something our ancestors consumed and our ancestors thrived on for many, many years. And we have decided, oh, it's it's too high fat, or you know, like it's gonna clog up my arteries or whatever, I'm not gonna do it. And I think that we're missing out on some health benefits. So there needs to be a little bit of a balance in the way that we approach our animal protein. So like I said, grass-fed, look for grass-fed, look for antibiotic-free, hormone-free, um, look for pastured eggs, that's another one. Eggs are, especially when we're talking about the yolk of the eggs, that is like nature's multivitamin right there. It's super high in choline, which we need for brain health. And it's filled with all sorts of other vitamins that we are not going to get in such a small, like I said, more bang for your buck amount. So I'm a big fan of eggs, big fan of eating the yolk. I think that, you know, the whole low fat diet movement was really disastrous for our mental health. I've talked about that many a times. And I also need to add the Journal of American College of Cardiology cardiology has stated there is no connection between saturated fat and heart disease risk and actually they've said that going too low fat can lead to a stroke risk so there's a lot of new information that's coming out that this old way of being afraid of fat is not working for us and it might be leading to other health issues as I mentioned before, protein is also really good for cutting cravings because it is the most satiating micronutrient. So that's something to keep in mind. We want to be satiated. We want to feel full because that also sends a signal to our bodies that, hey, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. You are not going to starve on my watch. And so I think that that's really important to think through as we are eating. What's going to be satiating? What's going to be filling? 
and what's going to make us feel good. We, Of course, palatable is important. We want food to taste good, but how are you going to feel in an hour or two hours? So with that, let's get into talking about healthy fats. These are also my anytime foods. Our brain is made up of fat, mostly fat, so we need to fuel our brain with fat. And most Americans are consuming far too many omega-6 fats. And so what I want really for people to understand to stay away from are these vegetable oils, canola, corn, soybean, all the nut and seed oils are really dangerous for our cells and our tissue. They oxidize at high heat and all of them have been oxidized too much and overly processed. And so we need healthy cells and healthy mitochondria in order to have a healthy brain. So we want to steer clear of those omega-6 vegetable oils and I and really start focusing more on omega-3 fats. And that could be like really fatty fish. That could be um, even taking a supplement. An omega-3 supplement can be really helpful. But you want to get your fats from things like olive oil, avocado oil is still a good one. Grass-fed butter is really great fat to use in cooking. And if you cook your vegetables in butter, you're going to absorb more of the vitamins from your fat soluble, the fat soluble vitamins from your vegetables as well. And ghee, if you've ever tried ghee, that's a great option. Coconut oil. I know, I know there's lots of back and forth about coconut oil, but it is still a valid option. And MCT oil, something we don't get in our standard American diet. MCT oil is amazing to fuel our brains. And so I'm a big fan of that as well. Something I recently learned that I think is super interesting is if you've ever heard of the drug lithium, it's been used for bipolar disorder. I went on it a long, long time ago and it made my skin break out, made me really puffy. I didn't love the way it made me feel, but I know for a lot of people it can be really, really helpful. And so one of the reasons that lithium works so well with bipolar disorder is it's actually protective in the brain. It protects against the negative effects of omega-6s. So that goes back to when we are limiting our omega-6 fats, we are going to have healthier brains. So again, omega-6 fats, in case you didn't catch it before, those are vegetable oils. Basically, every single processed food that you have in your pantry probably have vegetable oil in it. I know a lot of chips do, or they'll have canola oil. And, you know, I'm a big fan of stores like Aldi and Trader Joe's, but many of their packaged products that look healthy like hummus or uh, maybe some of their dips that are, are pretty good ingredients for the most part will have canola oil in it and lots of salad dressings are canola oil based. And so you'll be like, oh, look, it's like, it says that there's no sugar. It says that it's, you know, pure ingredients, whatever, but it has canola oil. Stay far, far away. If you see canola, run. <laughs> I am not a fan of it. And there are plenty of other options that have like avocado oil or olive oil. Or if we're talking about dressing, just make your own. If we're talking about hummus, make your own. It takes five minutes to throw chickpeas in a blender with some oil, some tahini, and maybe some seasonings, and you've got hummus. I mean, you know, then you have to clean out the blender. And I know that's a pain because I'm talking to myself here. Sometimes that drives me crazy. You have to clean it out afterwards. But it is going to be so much more brain nourishing than buying something with canola oil. So let's get into vegetables real fast. Obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of vegetables. I talk about them all the time. I'm always talking about adding more color to your diet. But it's really important to understand that the diversity of vegetables in your diet can actually improve your gut microbiome. They contain prebiotic fiber to 
fiber, sorry, I think I said fiber, that is not a word, fiber to create a hospitable environment for good bacteria in your gut. So you want prebiotic fiber to kind of act like a fertilizer to grow the good bacteria. And vegetables are awesome for that. We need to normalize veggies. I would love to just start a campaign to normalizing adding vegetables to everything. If I could just start with one thing, if you and I were sitting down and you're a coaching client of mine, and this is what I often do, is the very first goal that I set up for my clients is let's see if you can add more vegetables to your diet. Let's see if you could try one new vegetable every week. Every week that you go to the grocery store go, hmm, this is interesting. I've never used this before. I'm going to cook with it, see what happens. And eventually, I would love to see people get up to 25 different vegetables in a week. And this is just a broad goal. This is not, we're not talking about perfection here. This is just a range you want to get to. But even trying out five different vegetables a week, or sorry, a day, adding five different veggies a day is very doable. Because think about, you know, if you're like me, I like to have, if I'm going to have maybe say an egg scramble, I would love to add some sauteed onions and bell pepper in there, and maybe a little spinach chopped and added in. You can't even taste those things, really, unless you're extremely picky. You can't. Well, that's three different veggies right there. Or maybe you're making a soup or a chili, or maybe just a salad. Like, think about how many vegetables you can add into a salad. Starchy vegetables are really, really good for cutting sugar cravings. So I know a lot of people will be like, oh, it's too high carb to do carrots or it's too high carb to do potatoes, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, whatever it is. Well, those things are actually really great for cutting your sugar cravings. And when you're nourishing yourself on those real food carbs, you might crave some of the other more processed carbs less. And so veggies are an always food for me. If I can get in as many vegetables in a meal as I can, I will, and I'm going to try it. And it's just a fun goal for myself. The other thing, and this one is a little bit controversial, fermented foods. I'm a big fan. I go through phases where sometimes I'm on a sauerkraut kick. Sometimes I'm on a kimchi kick. <laughs> um, and there are even really good brands of pickles that don't have artificial colors and don't have vinegar, but are actually made in a brine. And that's what you want to look for. You want to look for pickles that are made in a saltwater brine and they're fermented and they are really tasty as well. And so thinking about adding those in every day or something like kombucha or, you know, like we haven't talked about alcohol yet because I, I, talk about that in a different episode, but they even have hard kombucha these days. So you can feel like you're having a little bit of a cocktail, but also you're getting your fermentation on. So that's an option. The other thing that I love is dark chocolate. Treat yourself to some dark chocolate, like at least 75, 80% cacao every day. And that's going to make you happy. Everybody's happier when they're eating chocolate. And it's also a really great antioxidant for your body and it will boost your mood health as well. So let's get into the sometimes food. I hate to interrupt today's discussion, but I've got to jump in real fast. If you like what you're hearing on today's show, but you want to know how to make health changes work for your body and brain, I would love to work with you. Learn more when you go to sparkingwholeness.com slash coaching to schedule your session with me. I offer personalized programs that meet you right where you are. I take everything I've learned from all these amazing experts who have been on my show, my own training from the Institute for Integrated Nutrition and the School of Applied Functional Medicine, and I mix it all up with my own personal flavor, and we work together to start your journey to wholeness. 
go to sparkingwholeness.com slash coaching. I would love to work with you. Okay, I'll shut up now. Back to the show. The sometimes food, we really, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about like uh, once a week. I'm talking about no more than once a day. So these are things that maybe you can include depending on who you are. You can include these things once a day. But we want to really think about the carb and the blood sugar connection with our mental health. Because if we're on a blood sugar roller coaster because we're eating carbs, 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 our mental health might struggle a little bit. Again, this is not the same for everybody, but for a lot of people who struggle with anxiety, depression, I know for me, when I improved my blood sugar and when I got my blood sugar leveled out, I felt a lot better mood wise. And so, Processed carbs, they're great for providing a short burst of glucose, and if we're running on sugar all the time, that is a quick fuel that burns out quickly. Fat, if we're running on fat, if we're in fat burning mode all the time, what we would say, that's a fuel that's going to go a little bit longer, and fat is going to be more sustaining for our brains and our bodies at all at a longer time. And so when we're talking about carbs and you, especially for somebody who does have maybe some blood sugar imbalances, we want to look at whole grains, whole grains that have fiber, a good fiber source to help stabilize blood sugar and specifically non-gluten, non-processed grains, because gluten can be a mood trigger for a lot of people. And that's been studied for over 50 years, the way gluten can affect psychiatric episodes, the way gluten can affect depression, anxiety, all of that. And so we want to look at rice, quinoa, oats, some of those things that are going to have a little bit more fiber and it might not be something that you have at every meal. So this is why I say it's a sometimes food no more than once a day. It might be like for me, I feel the best when I choose my whole grain, whole food carb at night when I have it in the evening because that is going to actually make me kind of tired and prepare me for sleep. If I have it in the middle of the day, I am going to be useless after two hours just because that is the way my body works. And it might be different for you and you can figure out what works for you. But again, we want to look at the whole grains that are not gluten-based because gluten can break down the gut lining, cause some mood issues. And if you don't know for sure how your body responds to gluten, just go off of it for two weeks. Even just two weeks, you'll notice a difference and um, see if, if that could be something that's causing you even digestive issues. That can happen for people too. Let's talk about legumes because that is, again, a hot topic when we're talking about plant-based protein. But legumes are actually a really good source of fiber. I wouldn't say I wouldn't consider them protein as much as I would consider them a fiber that helps to balance blood sugar, that helps to kind of lighten the load when you are eating carbs. And so not everybody can tolerate legumes. If you have leaky gut, you might struggle with responding well to legumes, but you can soak them overnight to make them you know, more tolerable. There are things like lentils, beans. I'm a big fan of chickpeas. I, love, I mentioned hummus earlier. I love hummus. I love making my own hummus. I love roasting chickpeas, putting them in a salad. So again, this is a sometimes food just to see if this is something that is beneficial for you. Another sometimes food is dairy. Dairy can be inflammatory for some people. I know a lot of people that have issues tolerating dairy, and most of us, as we age, 
we lose the enzyme that helps to break dairy down. And so one of the things when we're talking about dairy is if you are going to try dairy, stick to whole fat dairy, because when you go low fat or reduced fat, all of that popular stuff, what you're doing is you're taking away the fat, but you're adding in sugar to make it tasty. And it just becomes more chemically processed. And let's be honest, my friend, I have a friend, Chelsea, she has said before that God did not create cows to have low fat udders. <laughs> and that is fact. So whole fat, it is again, satiating. It's going to give us more nutrients for our bodies as well and our brain. So if you can tolerate dairy, stick to stick with whole fat and and see how that works for you but really just no more than once a day and for some people you know maybe no more than a few times a week and again just like gluten it might be something that you take away for a while to see how your brain does or even how your skin does i notice for me my skin doesn't always love dairy and that's you know true for a lot of people that have cystic acne and even for women that have pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome the first thing i would recommend is to get off dairy because it can cause a lot of inflammation in your body in that way and not be beneficial fruit fruit is something um, a lot of people love I'm not the biggest fruit fan but you know what I make myself eat it because I know it has so many benefits to it but I don't eat it all day long I love apples apples are probably my favorite fruit because I don't know you can eat them any time of year they're always good you can put cinnamon on them you can put them in a pan with some butter and kind of saute those apples that's really tasty too but I also love blueberries when I'm wanting something tart uh, mangoes are great They're, they are a higher glycemic index but during the summer man that tastes so good so fruit is is a wonderful reminder that we as humans like sweet things and it's okay. And so I'm a big fan of fruit. Just remember, like if you have blood sugar issues going on, look at the timing of when you eat your fruit and see how you feel. If you start your day off with fruit, you might not feel great for the rest of the day. You might wanna keep your fruit at bedtime. Again, it's up to you, but this is something again you wanna look at once a day. So basically what I'm doing is I'm taking that whole food pyramid thing that we were given however many years ago and I'm kind of flipping it a little bit. <laughs> All the things that we were told to eat multiple times per day, I'm saying, eh, maybe just try it once a day, like grains and legumes and dairy and fruit. So again, I already talked about limiting gluten, but the things that you want to limit. So I've given you your all, all the time, anytime foods. I've given you your sometimes foods. And here are the things that are that we want to limit, but we don't want to completely cut out because we, again, we don't want to go extreme restrictive mode because if you're like me, if I go extreme restriction, that's all I'm going to want. So I really recommend, um, again, like I said, limiting gluten, sugar. And the thing about sugar, it's not so much about your body's response to the sugar, but it's also about the fact that the sugar, in most cases, has been genetically modified, and there are pesticides. And so we have to worry about that breaking down our gut lining as well. But again, I don't want to completely demonize sugar and sugar substitutes. Like I do love using maple syrup in some recipes. I like it if I'm wanting to make a salad dressing that has kind of a tangy and a sweet taste to it. Um, there's also monk fruit sweetener. That's a good substitute. Lakanto. But you, you want to kind of denormalize sugar to the point where you don't need it all the time, but maybe, you know, every once in a while, something sugary sounds good to you. And you're like, yeah, I have the freedom to eat that, but be mindful of how you're going to feel afterwards. Processed carbs, that's another thing. 
you know, like I said, I, I'm at the point where I, there are a lot of things I just don't want because it's not worth it because I know I'm not going to feel great afterwards. Um, but then there are sometimes like if I'm at a party or if I'm at a restaurant that's really good, there are certain things that I will say yes to because of the environment that I'm in. And I think that that's your mindset about food is, is something that, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute because I think that that is something really important to talk about. But I do want to touch on alcohol. Alcohol is something that you want to limit and you want to possibly say no to completely, especially if you deal with anxiety, depression. It is neuro, it is a neurotoxin for our brains. And depending on, you know, what kind of environment you are in, I know in the area that I live in, it's like every single event you go to in the Dallas area, it's it's wine country. I mean, it's not literally wine country. We have no wineries that are any good around here. But people love to celebrate and drink wine. And I realized almost a year ago that my body doesn't respond well to wine anymore. And so I've had to give that up. And that was really hard for me. But I feel so much clearer when I am not drinking. And so, again, pay attention to your body and, and look at how you feel afterwards or a few, even sometimes a few days after having gluten, sugar, processed carbs, alcohol, those kinds of things. And I don't like using the word or phrase cheat day. I've always hated that. I think that that is really a dangerous way to talk to yourself, to act like you're cheating on something. But think about weekend foods that you love, because if we're consuming something during the week when we're stressed, and this is getting into that mind pe mindset piece again, if you're consuming something because you're stressed, because you can't deal with your life right now, because you need to cope, and your body is in that fight or flight state, your body's not going to do a good job of digesting that thing. And so if you're baking brownies on a Tuesday night because you can't deal with whatever happened during the day, it's going to be hard for your body to digest those brownies. But if you are eating brownies on Saturday afternoon and you've taken a nap and you've done some yoga or taken a or whatever it is that you love that nourishes you and you're just feeling really relaxed and you are going to enjoy the crap out of some brownies, then do that. Then that's going to give your body an easier time digesting that thing. When we're stressed out about life and what we're eating, it's going to be more toxic for our bodies. And so that's really important too. So again, to give yourself a break, just don't tell yourself you're having a cheat meal or a cheat day or a cheat weekend or whatever. Tell yourself that you're nourishing yourself, that you're enjoying. Again, food is not just for fuel. Food is also for, for enjoyment and for pleasure. And I think sometimes we minimize the pleasure that we can get from food because we feel like we're doing something wrong. We feel like it's bad and we really need to correct that way of thinking. And that's something that I've been working on for myself, especially, you know, when we're talking about times of celebration or holidays, like I want to be able to enjoy the people I'm around and I want to be able to enjoy this food too, as a whole experience of all of the senses, right? Like we have been given our senses for a reason. We've been given sweet foods for a reason. And so we don't want to demonize or restrict anything. And we don't want to be like, oh, I can't have this. It's going to be bad for my brain. Because yeah, if you're saying that, it probably will be. So one other thing that I want to mention is to honor your hunger and to make sure that you are feeding yourself when you're hungry. And with that, I want to touch on intermittent fasting really quickly because I said that that can be beneficial for some people, but for some people they can go way too strict with it. And they can do intermittent fasting every day 
for 16 hours, you know, only eating an eight, eight hour window. And if it's been eight hours and one minute and I'm hungry, too bad, so sad, I got to starve myself for 16 hours. That's stressful for the body, right? Like that's something that you want to be careful with that all or nothing mentality that is not good for mental health. It's not good for physical health. And so when it comes to intermittent fasting, if that is something that you choose to do, there are tons of brain health benefits on it and they're coming out more and more all the time. It's great for blood sugar, it's great for digestion, and it is really good for cleaning up our brains as well. So there's nothing wrong with it, but just be careful with how rigid you're being and give yourself some grace. And women, I, I love talking about this, but ladies, if you are, especially that week before your period, that luteal phase, that is a really intense period where life just might be a little more stressful for you because your body's going through a lot of hormonal changes. And so if you can't fast during that period because you're hungry, you feed yourself. If you need more carbs during that period, you feed yourself. And just be mindful of that effect. So as I always say, a body in stress will not digest. So you want to make sure that when you are consuming food that you are relaxing, you are chewing, you are slowing down, you're taking breaths before bites. And, you know, a lot of us were taught to pray before we eat. And what I think is really interesting about that, when you pray before you eat to prepare your body for digestion, you're actually preparing your body to, to release more digestive enzymes to break your food down. And just remember, you absolutely have the freedom to eat whatever you want, but you need to tune in to what makes you feel the best and what makes you feel the best might not be the same as somebody else. It might not even be the same as what I say, but that's why I kind of give you those practical steps, the practical breakdown of the main food groups to focus on, and then everything else is just a bonus and everything else can be individualized for you because it really the saying is true is that food is mood. And, you know, I don't always love that whole you are what you eat thing that people say, but it is true that the way your brain functions is going to depend on what you're eating and how you are able to digest it. So we want to optimize digestion. We want to give our bodies whole nutrient-dense foods and that is really going to help support that gut-brain connection. So if you have any other questions for me, or if you would like to chat about this, or if you just want to sit down and talk about how you can make this work for you, feel free to contact me always. I'm always available to chat. Sparkingwholeness.com is my website, and I will talk to you guys next time. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze, and I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.